Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rules of the Game, a podcast for Independent Education's Great Conversations Project, where your host, Butch Porter, that's me, has in-depth conversations with good people about great ideas. If you're listening to this on the Great Conversations page or on our Patreon, we're excited to have you. Please consider becoming a subscriber on either of those pages to get access to special content. Also, for your convenience, please add us to your podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoy this episode. Well, good morning, good evening, good night. How are you, Jessica? Good morning, Butch. I'm good. How are you? I am very well. You're listening to Rules of the Game podcast. You could be watching it. If you're a subscriber, you could be watching it. If not, then you, you don't get to see uh, Jessica's, uh, uh, you know, countenance and, and uh, lovely hair. Her <laughs> hair is always great. So uh, what's going on in Tennessee? Anything exciting? Tennessee. Wow. Well, okay. So all of the snow is melting. Well, I went to Jackson Hole for a ski trip. Oh, good for you. While I was there, I think it was colder in Tennessee, and Tennessee got more snow than it's ever had before. Well, of course. That would make sense. You know, it was really sad, Butch. We got stuck in Jackson Hole, and we couldn't leave. Oh, you poor baby. Eating out. <laughs> it was tough. I, I think my parents go there occasionally. Like, they have elk and all that kind of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. we did a I did a snowmobiling excursion in Yellowstone National Park, and... It was just beautiful. There were moose and elk and bison, and it was really, it was a really unique experience. But anyway, I came back to Tennessee, and of course, it was well. I, I was just loving it. My kids sledding, and but today it's sixty-five degrees and sunny. I mean, that's good. Well, you know, you're in Virginia. It's probably similar. My uh, no, it's it's cool. It's cold here today. It'll be warm tomorrow. Um, but meanwhile. My family's in Louisiana, and they had the biggest snow in American history, I think. I oh, think. really? Yeah, they had like six or eight inches of snow, which just never happens in Louisiana. And Texas, of course, was covered with snow yeah. and, and lost all their power. And, yes. And okay. uh, the cool thing is, is was, yeah, what was that? Well, our friends from the trip were, were from San Antonio, and they the house, they lost water, they lost power. Their mom sure. was baby and they had no heat or water or anything so it was pretty to see what everybody went through down there what about your family how did they cope in louisiana i think everybody survived you know um it's 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 just you know it's kind of a, you have to make adjustments you know my sister said she was just tired of pushing cars uphill you know <laughs> in the main you know trying to get cars unstuck that are stuck right that kind of thing. work um but yeah, I think uh, I, I think they they fared okay. I mean, my uh, my parents and and dad owns a welding shop, North Street Welding. For those of you in welding business and and in uh, service and in and around Northern Louisiana, um, they uh, they had a flood a few years ago, and there's nothing like having to take a boat to work. Right. So, you know, a little snow, a little break, you know, never hurt anybody. So, uh, yeah, it floods in that, in that little part of the, 
part of the uh, of the of the town. So anyway, so our topic today is uh, none other than the topic of leisure. I uh, this is going to be a word of the week too on the uh, great conversations uh, starting tomorrow. It's uh, it's funny uh, the way this came up. I, I joined a church and and they started talking about it in the Sunday school. Um, now it was written by a, uh, a Catholic author, Joseph Pieper, P-I-E-P-E-R. I think it's, it's I don't know if it's Piper or Pieper. Um, so, uh, but he uh, he wrote it in 47, 1947. It's called Leisure, the Basis of Culture is the name of the book. And it's worth reading. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm almost done. He's German. German. And he wrote. A book about leisure during World War II. Oh, right after World War II. It's over. He's like, I need a break. Well, yeah. Well, which made him which <laughs> made him exceedingly unpopular, right? Because the normal German take on things is, you know, work work is what we're about, right? That's what you know, we, we live to work, we work to live, you know, blah blah blah. Or we work we live to work. Right. That, that's that's the, you know, uh, Aristotle had a different view. We work to live. But it's very Kantian, if you will, not to dig too deep into that. But it, the um, but the the idea of work being the only noble activity. Right. And anything that's not work related either has to be made into something that could potentially benefit your work or or not. So. Um, so it made him very unpopular because the, the the mindset at the time of the close of the war was we have a lot of work to do. We have to rebuild our society. We have to rebuild, you know, and so there's no slacking off, you know. And so he wrote this book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And, of course, the premise is in order for culture to happen, leisure has to happen. Like it can't all be done in the workplace, right? Yeah. So before we dig into that, um, you have any thoughts on leisure, Jessica? <laughs> well, yeah. I'm somebody very comfortable with um, the pursuit of leisure, if you will. <laughs> I don't know if that Protestant work ethic kind of just no. <laughs> no per pursue, pursue leisure. I think we found our rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just funny that this guy, Joseph Pieper, Piper, whatever, you know, is German. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Martin Luther was German, right? Kind of the father of Protestantism. He, he was, yes. Protestant work ethic. And, and as Martin Luther sort of, well, heretically pulled, I guess, away from the Catholic Church, he, you know, I think he really kind of brought back this idea to the community that, that work all different kinds, not just like the priesthood or being a monk, ultra- but all different types of work naturally have this inherent value and can be done to the glory of God. And that's kind of where we see this Protestant work ethic. And, and it, it kind of imbibed some, some meaning into people's lives. And so whether you were somebody who, who, who made shoes for a living or whether you were somebody who, who did laundry for a living, that you could sort of do that with your whole heart and do it to the glory of God. So I find it funny that this this Catholic man who's living in Germany, like the year after World, World War II, is like, let me write this book about <laughs> leisure. It just seems, seems yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because um, yeah, it it didn't it didn't make him popular, but it 
it is interesting how, um, I mean, I'm an educator, right? So my angle from this is, is, is one of, uh, you know, for kids, their work is school, right? And so, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, I'm sure uh, if it hasn't come up, then it's coming up today. Um, the word, the original word for school in the Greek was skole. And, <laughs> and that, well, and that meant leisure. That was the Greek word for leisure, right? So e even, even education as a purpose uh, is one is one of leisure and it doesn't mean slothfulness or laziness uh, the there's a distinction there Thomas Aquinas is really good at making these kinds of distinctions and um and he you know people cites and I, I'm, I hate to I'm I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce his names so I'm just going to alternate it like half half Piper and half Peeper. Well, if German, then the chances are that it would be pronounced Peeper. I is most often pronounced as E in the German language. Sure, if you say so. <laughs> it's the only language. Which that so, um, well, you cut out for a second. What was that last? It's the only language besides the English language that I have some familiarity with. So, Well, good, good. You have more than me then. So, um, I, I learned French, right? So they're a lot better at leisure um, than, <laughs> than Germans. Yeah. Uh, for leisure. <laughs> well, it is, uh, the, so the, the term, the, the term describing something that's useless, right. Is, is really kind of part of it that where it, where it diverges from the Protestant work ethic is well, anything you do is useful and good. And whereas his position is it, it's only leisure and therefore only good leisure if it's not useful. Right. So the, cause we have a tendency to utilitarianize everything like even, even in Americans, especially even when we talk about, and this has been this way for decades uh even when we talk about vacation you know we talk of it in terms of well we need to recharge right we need to recharge and we need to uh you know uh take a rest and relaxation so that we can be more productive when we come back right that's what that's what rest is for you know uh all the things we do for our you know for employees that give them more flexibility or whatever it's it is almost always, you know, uh, justified in terms of making them more productive. That's that's the goal. So there's a utilitarian bent to it, and and Peeper's uh, uh, position is that um, that that's just more of the same, right? That everything is being utilitarianized, uh, and everything is being made uh, into it has to have a purpose for work or it's not, you know, it's not noble, which is not true. Right. So, um, but yeah, if you, if you think about it, the, the issue is, are we defined by our work? Right. So when you, when you meet someone and I think you and I already had an exchange on this, when you meet someone, you know, what's the first thing you ask them? 
You do, yeah. What do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Right. So I've heard uh, through, you know, it was through Sunday school that, um, that modern Germans don't like asking that question. It's, it's, it's considered rude, um, which is, or maybe it's not modern Germans. Maybe, I don't know. He said that the, there was a, there's a tendency not to ask that question. What are some things that we could, do, maybe, do you know, do you know why you're not supposed to ask that question? Um, no. Why? Well, because you're basically asking somebody how much money they make. Ah, okay. Right. And so, well, I'm a doctor. Oh, so you're rich, right? Or I'm a, you know, I'm a financial hedge fund manager or whatever, you know? So, I mean, not all jobs are going to describe your class status, but right. some are right. And so the assumption is you don't ask what somebody does for a living. So the alternative, one possible alternative is what are you studying? Which is funny because it sounds like, you know, you're asking your fellow college student what their major is, but that's not what it means. It means, what are you reading? You know, what are you reading? What are you watching? Oh yeah. Uh, right. I, I, I have to, I have to, uh, have have a you know have to edit it. I mean, what are you reading is great, but not everybody reads a lot, right? And so, what are you watching is probably the most relevant question <laughs> these days. <laughs> what do you what do you what are you studying? Right, I like that term because currently, um, uh, like, what are you in right now? You're you're cut you're cutting out a lot. Start over there. I'm sorry. I said, what area of knowledge are you currently pursuing? What's your what's your interest what's your interest right now? You know, what's captivating you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I heard you. That takes entirely too long to say though. Like, what area of knowledge are you currently pursuing? I can't even I'm already bored about halfway through that sentence. This is America. You have to ask quicker questions than that. Um, no, I, I I get it. I get it. Slow down and you talk to people and you ask them. You know, when you take interest in their lives, I think most people respond, even if it is a seven word question. <laughs> it can't be much. Look, um, I don't like to take more than seven syllables to order my coffee, right? You know, in other words, if, it, if it's. You have to know who you're dealing with. I mean, I, I did just, I told you I'd come back from that Jackson Hole trip and we were there with four other couples and. Sure. One, you know, I consider myself the conversational director. That's what I do. I'm like the cruise ship director. So, you know, one of the main things that I think we discussed was, you know, what people were watching on Netflix and all of that. But that's not sure. that's not what area of knowledge are you pursuing right now? Like what's what's captivating your interest right now? You know, what are you reading? You know, what, what are you studying? I think that is I think you can ask that. But, you know, it has to be a little bit more wordy. But if you're going to take the time to really, you know, take interest in that answer, I mean, I think it's it's worth asking. I agree. I'm just messing with you. I'm just giving you a hard time. Well, you know how, I, up, but you know how uptight I am. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of, uh, shouldn't you know by now how uptight I am and how I'm offended by most questions? <laughs> um. So what are you studying? So if you ask, I mean, think about some of the people you uh, you interact with on a daily basis. If you ask them that question, you know, or actually not people you interact with, the people you randomly meet, like people you meet new. That's the assumption is you're meeting someone that you never talked to before, right? 
Well, I think we're getting to the core of the problem here. And, and the core of the problem is that most people aren't pursuing an area of knowledge at the moment. I think a lot of people would immediately go on the defensive. Well, um, you know, because it's like, well, well, what am I studying? I'm not. I'm, I'm going to this job where I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Mostly I try to crack the codes of my passwords all day long. <laughs> things and send emails. And then I pick up my kids and then I run home and I... I do this and I do that and I, I shower. Most people are not pursuing an area of knowledge. So if you ask them about that, it's a, uh, uh, oh, uh, what's that book I read six months ago, the first chapter, and then I set it down. That was kind of interesting. Uh, maybe I can mention that. I think a lot of people would go on the defense. Now, of course, you surround yourself in a circle of people, you know, because of your pursuit with this great conversations that you know, might be unique, a unique microcosm within our culture. But most people would feel a little bit on the spot, I think, if you ask them that question. Think about, I know you're the expert with the Greek philosophers. But I already know that I'm not an expert. Whatever whatever comes after that, I'm not an expert in anything. <laughs> More so than I am. <laughs> I know that you're an expert in... Uh, <laughs> Aristotle, like, he, he opened up the first public school, right, which was called, like, the Lyceum, right? Sure. And he said something along the lines of like, the life of the mind is only open to rich people, you know? Sure. Okay. But that's the, that goes back to the assumption, right? The assumption is that if you're not working, then it basically, it, it's another way of ignobilizing. Now, Aristotle didn't ignobilize it, but the assumption is that um the assumption built into that is that the only people who have time to philosophize are the ones that already have money which means they don't have to work as hard right sure. they don't have to work that means they have time to philosophize um i think peeper's position would be different i think peeper's position would be that um that everybody has everybody has to work and whether they have to work for 12 hours a day in a factory or whether they have to work six hours a day at a hedge fund, or whether they have to work 18 hours a day at a hedge fund, doesn't matter. You have free time. And part of what, and this goes back to the Greeks, of what the reason why skole was a term for leisure is they assumed that a proper use of leisure time was the pursuit of knowledge, right? It was the pursuit of good pursuit of truth pursuit of wisdom if you will and um i think it's uh so yeah well, actually let's go back to um marco rubio right marco rubio during the campaign in 2016 was like we need less philosophers and more welders right you know he was he was like people get now within the republican party especially Okay, say that one more time because I you keep cutting off at the beginning. Um, I apologize. I, I don't know if there's something. Oh, you know what? I did put my case back on my phone. <laughs> I can take it off really quickly and it will help. Are you okay? Okay, with go me? ahead. Um, if you can hear me, I was saying as I take this off my phone, and I think you're gonna be able to hear me better now. But yeah, I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, I was saying that. That's a really popular sentiment right now, especially within the Republican Party, this um, concept that 
not everybody needs a liberal arts education, but that we need more people with, with trades. And it's something I hear a lot, particularly in Republican circles, whereas Democrats really seem to lean more towards the concept of no, everybody should go to college, which of course, if college was still a liberal, a really great liberal arts environment, I could get on with that more. But, exactly. But, but the challenge is that college is still over-practicalized, right? It's been yes, that Yeah. It's not really trade school and it's not really liberal arts. I guess a lot of people would put it in that middle area and they might even refer to it as useless. <laughs> like actually useless. No. Okay. So, but here's the thing. If you're right, if, if there was a liberal arts, and you know why it's called liberal arts. I don't know how I got to the age of 46 and didn't know why it was called liberal arts. But do you know why it's called liberal arts? Um, I mean, I, I feel like I, I'm loosely connected to the reason why, but why don't you spell it out for me? <laughs> I'm loosely connected to the reason. I feel like I understand, but... Maybe I don't. So instead of me taking a couple stabs at it, why don't you just fill me in? <laughs> well, well, it's because it is free. <clears throat> it is free. Uh, the liberal arts are are the studies which are free of utility. They're free of a of a uh, of an automatic and required connection to the marketplace. They're free of. Uh, the servile nature of of uh, the other arts, which are those that, you know, job training, in other words, right? If you're getting an engineering degree, you're learning how to do and make and create and design and engineer things, uh, which the assumption is that they will be created and you will get paid for the creation of them. Uh, whereas liberal arts are supposed to be things that you make, they're just, it's pursuit of knowledge for knowledge's sake. Yes, is, yes. And the, the quintessential liberal art is, of course, philosophy. Right. And so what Rubio was saying was, you know, those who are getting philosophy majors, you know, are probably not going to do anything useful or make any money or be productive or whatever, right. which is not true because most philosophy majors are, are going to end up in sales. Let's be honest. That's where they're, they're going to end up in what? <laughs> they're going to end up in sales of some kind <laughs> yeah. if they want to make a living, you know. Yeah. It's true. My brother's a philosophy major and he is, um, he does like a surgical sales. So, there you go. <laughs> um, well, I well, got a, goes, I got a go physics ahead. degree, uh, okay. which is sort of a kind of a liberal arts in a sense, because it's, you know, it's pure science, you know, it's supposed to be pure science for science's sake. So it's one of those kind of tricky, uh, tricky things. And, you know, I went into sales too. So you just, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, I got a teaching degree and then realized what it was like to live off of 30 grand a year and quickly went into sales as well. <laughs> but going back to Aristotle and kind of what you were saying is I think, isn't Aristotle the one who was kind of saying like, yeah, you really can't pursue money and pure <sighs> desire for knowledge at the same time. So kind of like well, in, the same, saying, in yeah. the same instance. Maybe. So, but that kind of goes back to what you're saying about the liberal arts education as if, if there's, if you really have to be truly free of financial pursuit to just be pursuing the knowledge for the sake of knowledge and, and character enhancement and all of that, 
But really, when we, why we go to college is so we can make more money. That's why we go to college. We go to college right. because our parents tell us we're not going to be able to make enough money if we don't. And so this whole movement with the trades is we're realizing, actually, you know, you can actually make really good money as a plumber. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get a liberal arts degree before you become a plumber if it was a really, truly high quality well, authentic liberal arts degree. But here's the thing. Here's where it becomes tricky, right? And that is that the whole system, the whole higher educational system is built on a premise that it's worth putting 50, 100 grand, 150 grand, even 25 grand into an education. And not only that, foregoing four years of income, right? And so if you do the opportunity cost of college, it is God awful high. Which means that you have to make even a liberal arts degree some sort of, you know, you have to rationalize its uh, its utility and the return on its investment. You're looking through this, uh, through the eyes of a, of the middle class, Butch. People of nature and money don't look at liberal, liberal arts degrees as in the same way. <laughs> well, no, they do, though. They do, because, you know, if you... If you're if you're a parent and you're of means, right? Mm -hmm. Then yeah, you're going to put a lot of money. And the understanding is that it'll be now. Keep in mind, these liberal arts degrees are typically, you know, if you're of means, they may be an Ivy League or 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 you know a notch below that. Like I, I don't know what the category is you call the ones right below Ivy League, but. Uh, you know, there are a lot of universities like that, especially in the, in the, the technical arts, you know. Um, but if you're if you're of means and and you want to send your kid to Harvard to get a liberal arts degree, the understanding is they're going to do something like someone's going to hire them or they're going to, you know, make money. Right? I mean, that's the, I don't think anyone of means in America, like I'm talking American means, which is very different than like, if you're, if you're in the UK and you're, you know, uh, a nobility and have peerage or whatever, and you have old FU money from four generations back, then sure. You might go to Oxford because, well, I just want to be a well-rounded and loving, caring individual who pursues wisdom in his community and helps those who are in need. And, but I don't have to work for a living. Right. I mean, if you're not going to work for a living and you know that you're not going to work for a living, uh, but that doesn't exist in the United States. Not not. I mean, it does. I mean, Paris Hilton, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are some FU money inheritors in the United States, well, but it's really rare. Even the rich don't want in the United States don't want to. Uh, their kids not to get a job when they no no I, I would delineate it more like this so you know I live 15 minutes from Vanderbilt University and like oh, if yeah. you go there's two types of people who go to Vanderbilt and there's um if you go to Vanderbilt then you have these connexions who took French right these connexions um for the rest of your life and and um and the people who go to Vanderbilt you know there, maybe they go, one of their parents went or one of their grandparents went to Vanderbilt and, and they have um, an endowment and they give money on a regular basis and they're involved sure. with that community and they, you know, they take care of each other. And one of the reasons why you might go to Vanderbilt is to 
um, increase your chances of marrying someone else who also has a ton of money and connections and old money in, sure. in the Nashville area. So that's like one type of person. And those people, they already know they're going to have a, a great job or they're probably going to be in business for themselves on some level. They have a variety of different types of investments. But then there's the middle class kids that are their parents are trying to get, let them move up that That's class. That's right. Kid. They're we trying need, to elevate them. You got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer. We we don't have old money. We don't have property that's sure. worth millions of dollars. Like all we have in our bank account is like six hundred thousand dollars. We're screwed. You know, like these are like upper middle class people that are screwed because they're not rich yet, and they got their kids have to go find a job making a half a million dollars a year, or else they're in big trouble. You know, sure. those are the two types of families that go to, you know, Vanderbilt, and that. The, the first type of family is not worried about what kind of job they're going to get, you know, and maybe they can pursue a truly liberal arts degree. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think you, there is a good distinction there that upper middle class is, is, is the ones who are most stressed because they haven't, they have something to lose. Right. In other words, they're, they're that upper middle class. They want to make sure their kid, you know, uh, stays there or, or, or makes their own money and is not dependent upon them. Um, and we've had a couple of generations of, you know, kids who are doing more poorly than their parents, right? Which is the first time in American history. I can't imagine why that is. And I have no theories as to why, uh, you know, um, as to why kids are doing less, are, are less successful than their parents. Can you expound on that for me? Like what generation specifically are you referring to? And are you referring to money? Like yeah, it started, it started with the millennials, right? I mean, millennials okay. have, have done, you know, are, are one of the first generations to not do as well financially as their parents. I don't have, I don't haven't looked at the stats in 10 or 12 years. So I have no idea if that's changed. It could be, it, it might've shifted again. Uh, maybe they're making more money than their parents. I don't know. Um, uh, but that, I mean, I remember when I was in graduating college that that was one of the concerns, like we, you know, for the first time ever, we have kids who aren't doing, you know, who aren't bettering their parents, you know, uh, a standard of living. So, you know, which means now we have this fourth generation, four generation problem uh, emerging, right? Which is, you know, if you have any friends that are a little older than us, you know, in their fifties, uh, even early sixties um, that have kids who have not done well. I mean, they haven't, I mean, they may not be, you know, on drugs or anything or, you know, roaming the streets, but they haven't like really done well. Uh, then, you know, and they have kids, right? And so you got your kids who aren't doing well and you're concerned about your grandkids, but then you still have parents that are living. And they're getting to the point where they're getting older and they're having challenges and they're, they need to be taken care of. And so I call it the four generation problem. I'm sure other people do too. I, I didn't, I, I'm sure I, I'm not the only person to point it out, but I, I have a lot of, since I was selling health insurance for a while, I would run across that a lot. And I'm sure you have as well. Um, that four generation problem where, you know, parents are living longer, you know, so they need care and uh, but then the kid, not only the kids, but the grandkids. So you, and then you have to take care of your own household. And that's, you know, and it's it's mostly a, a young baby boomer problem. And, um, 
you know, we like to blame everything on the baby boomers, but they did better than their parents, right? So, you know, just saying. They were very much consumed with hard work and being yep. in the workforce and moving up that corporate ladder. And I think our the Gen X generation started to pull away from that a little bit. The millennials fully pulled away from it. And Gen Z wants nothing to do with it. They want this more. They want to go back to the days of, I don't know, Michelangelo, where you can paint the church ceiling and get paid tons of money to do it. Well, well, no, but that's actually Michelangelo is a good example of of um, of the wrong theory. See, the reason why my, uh, the Sistine Chapel is so amazing is because it was so hard and so intricate and so um, you know it took a lot of effort, and that's why we put so much value on it. Um, now, but that's not the only reason. So when it comes to art, we have the same flaw. We have this sort of tendency to value things that are complex and things that are, whereas very often in art and music, we hear things that are beautiful and amazing and they're not that complex and they don't take that much time and that effort. Uh, but we have a tendency to overvalue uh, art that is complex uh, because we have this Kantian notion of the only value of something and it's a, it ends up being a Marxian notion, Marxist notion, that the only value of something is the labor that's put it, put into it. And, um, but you know, you know, I both know that the reason why the Sistine Chapel is good is because it's good. Like even if he would have, even if he could have done it in yeah. you know a small amount of time, if he you know it's still good, right? And yeah. so, yeah. um. The other the other component there is is what it means to appreciate something. Uh, one of the examples that he doesn't like true to form, he doesn't use a lot of practical examples because that would be right. I mean, if you're using a lot of practical examples of your philosophy, then then you're not philosophizing properly, right? That would be his, <laughs> his but he did use the example of a rose. If you if you know, does it take work? So what happens is a lot of people, and I get this a lot with, with homeschool stuff, is people, have you ever seen people go somewhere and they, and everything is about teaching? Like, you know, their kid, they're showing their kids everything, explaining everything to them, and they're analyzing it and talking about the history of it and the blah, blah, blah. And that's good. I mean, that's a, that's a net positive in a variety of ways, learning from the things you see and touch and, and that you experience. But uh, people would say that that is a um, is a discursive approach to enjoying something that you should possibly just enjoy. Yeah. Like if, you, if you view a rose and you think, "Wow, you know, I wonder how long it took," you know, the tree and what makes that color? Well, it's because it's absorbing all the you know, the frequencies that are not red. And it's uh, that way I, you know, and I see the red reflected. And, sure. and before you know it, you've made it into a science experiment and you've yes. made it into something, uh, something that is uh, analytical and mathematical and scientific. And you're, and before you know it, the beauty of the rose is 
completely lost. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think one of the driving factors of being a lifelong learner is curiosity. And you want to be careful not to kill curiosity in children. And if you have sure. every single answer, eventually it will get tedious. A lot of times my almost three-year-old now will ask me a question about something and I'll just look at them and I'll be like, I don't know. Got it. What do you think? I don't reach for my phone and Google it and read him the answer. You know, if he's looking at a leaf and he wants to know why does it have these lines on it, I say, I don't know. What do you think? He'll figure it out eventually. He doesn't need to know at two years and eight months <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's not do well, or die time. It's more important that we feel that curiosity and that independent sure. stance towards learning. Even that, though, even that is going down the wrong path, though, Jessica. Oh, no. I knew I was going to screw this yep. up. Screwed up again. Made another mistake. Let me write it down. Hang on. I have my uh, I have my notebook. When Jessica makes mistakes, I have to. Have to. <laughs> no. So it was very Kantian of me. That's right. That was very Kantian. You went down a Kantian rabbit hole. But kind of, your assumption is, I'm just you know I'm spitballing. But the point is, is that your assumption is that he's going to learn on his own and he'll be stronger. Because he went through the effort of learning is on his own, and that curiosity is stoked, and thus he's going to be more effective at learning, and he's going to learn more, and he's going to be more, he's going to be more better, more productive, et cetera, et cetera. I know that that's not what you're thinking, but that's a possible Kantian path. We have to kind of watch for them, right? And the truth is, the reason you don't answer is because it doesn't matter, right? The point is to enjoy. Belief, enjoy the, the wonderment, enjoy the moment, in the wonderment. Yes, that's exactly it. I 100% agree. Sure, even like, and we could transition this over to religion and our faith and all of that. And I would say that one of the things that parents do to kill religion in children is have an answer for every little tiny thing. Oh, and, sure, and, and part of the biggest part of faith in God is that the the mystery and being in complete wonderment of the mystery and so even beyond learning i'm trying to teach my two-year-old a spiritual concept when he asks me why are there lines on this leaf and i say i don't know i'm trying to let him sit in wonderment because that's a place where i want him to sit for many years and decades through his life so sure. it's called intentional parenting butch and i <laughs> I also let my kid eat Fruit Loops for breakfast this morning. So it's all about balance. Intentional parenting. I've heard of it. I, I mean, I, I get the I get the gist. Um, we actually did a course. Uh, Elena and I, I actually did a course on uh, the best education of a lifetime, and it's it's on the network. And and uh, it, it's it was very educational for me. Of course, that's most of what I do is I educate myself uh, as much as I educate the kids, but. You know, one of the things that we that we talk about is in order to have an educational philosophy, you have to have a philosophy. Right. So uh, and this is this has always been true. And that one of the reasons why, you know, we should be skeptical of just, you know, sending the kids to, you know, whatever, whoever's going to spend 35 hours a week with them and, you know, keep them out of your hair is they have a philosophy like the people teaching you and your kid have a philosophy. And if if you don't know it then, you know, that's going to be the philosophy your kid gets. It's 35 hours a week. It's hard to make up that time, right? Yes. yes. Now, I'm going to get off the soapbox of uh, of not uh, sending your uh, kids to an institution 
uh, not of your making for 35 hours a week. Uh, because that's not what this podcast is about. It's about leisure. And <laughs> so, but no, the, the, uh, so let's, let's talk about, let's talk about some alternatives because I like you it, alternatives to the question, what do you do? And I, I was trying to think back of some of the conversations I've had over the years. I like you did door to door sales for a long time. Um, you know, which ruined my ability to have a conversation because my job is to get in and get out and, you know, make some money. I'm kidding. But no, but what happens is you start, <laughs> you start learning different ways. You know, you see America up close, you start asking different questions and what do you do? Right. Because, sure. you know, sometimes they're not doing anything. Well, yeah. I love when somebody just looks at me and says, you know, what lights your soul on fire? You know, something else. That? Who has asked you that? People How ask me people? stuff like that all the time. Who does? Okay, I must have a sign on me. Okay, first of all, Butch, you have got to know one thing about me is I hate small talk. If somebody comes up to me at a party and is like, hi, so the weather is rainy. Or, so or it's like, kind of cold no, I'm like, seriously, I'm not a good enough person to hang with you and drip these little annoying drops of small talk. Like, you know what lights your soul on fire and if you're if your response Wait, is not okay. interesting in 20 seconds i'm finding a uh, i'm finding a place where i can escape how many people have asked you that question though very few and okay. those but those people as moments you remember because you're like wow this person's being we go back to that word again intentional they're in sure. they're being intentional about their interactions instead of just showing up and mimicking what they hear other people saying in society because they've got nothing more intentional or interesting to say, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, getting, you know, worked up about it, but I'm also talking to myself because I do the same thing. So sure. every now and then you, you run across somebody who is a little bit more thoughtful and intentional. And what that shows is genuine interest as well. So, okay. But hang on a sec. All right. So let's, let's assume for a second that not everybody you run into is that thoughtful and intentional. We don't have to assume that. I mean, I'm saying I'm in that boat most of the time. I'm I'm on auto drive and yeah, yeah. you show up and it's like, oh, well, what do you do for a living? I don't want anybody to ask me what lights my soul on fire too often, right? That sounds exhausting. Like in other words, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm gonna, I'm just saying, if I'm gonna have that many conversations, and I have a lot of conversations, fewer over the last year in person than I, you know, than I did before, you know, networking or whatever, business networking mostly. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the questions I ask. I mean, the, the normal question is, what do you do? Um, because you know, it's a business networking, but, um, yeah. I usually ask where you're from, where are you from? I say that a lot because I live in a place, um, that most everybody isn't from here. Right. So it's, it's a great question to ask because most everybody is from somewhere else. Well, in order to know the right question to ask, what are we trying to uncover? What are we trying to find out here? Well, when I when I ask that question, I want to know what they're about. I want to know, like, you know, if you say I'm from Queens, New York, it's going to tell me something sure. different about you than if you're from, you know, Coleman, Alabama or whatever. That's right? the first question I ask people, too. You know, to where are you from? Yeah. where I want to know. We were on that ski trip. You know, I get into an Uber. I want to know where are you from? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to hear all about it. I, I'm very curious and interested in people, but 
I kind of thought we were talking more in the realm of, you know, trying to get at that, you know, what are you pursuing in your life right now? That okay. is your passion and your purpose. Well, if you, if you think about where, you know, the reason, the reason why what, where you're from is useful is because it talks about their roots, right? The, you know, it's digging, digging into what makes the, I mean, most people, their personality is developed. Yeah. By the, I mean, you know, the, the operating question is usually where, like some people move around a lot. The operating question is typically where you went to high school, right? Those formative years, like 12 to 18, you know, where you spend that time is going to do a lot about developing your, you know, your personality. And it doesn't mean that everybody from Cullen, Alabama is exactly the same. And everybody from Queens, New York is exactly the same, but there are tendencies. There are things that you experience and the ways that you experience your community that are different than elsewhere. If you're looking at present day, I'm not sure. I have asked and more than once, uh, what do you do in your free time? I do that a lot. Um, which I guess free time is kind of another way of saying leisure. Um, so, um, what do you do in your free time is probably the most, the closest I get to, I mean, I've never asked anybody, what are you studying? I mean, I've never asked that because I mean, that's maybe that's just a German thing, right? I mean, it's, it's something that people are commonly asked. I don't want to ask something that's going to be like, who the hell do you think you are? You know, <laughs> right. you don't want to sound like a you're some raving intellectual. I mean, so what are you awesome. studying these days? Yeah. What are you studying? What do you, what I'm studying the back of somebody's head. <laughs> what lights your soul on fire is just the artist version of what are you studying? Right. That's, yeah, yeah. or maybe the girl version. Right. Well, what I mean, just, I don't want to be makes so you, prosaic. What as just to makes say, you, like, what are your hobbies? You what know? just makes your heart explode? What like, makes what your makes, heart on fire? Like after you ask somebody where they're from, you ask, and where are you going? No, wait. <laughs> I mean, like, where are you going? No, no, where are you really? Actually, that's almost that's almost like uh, if you're uh, evangelizing. Do you know where you're going when you die? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's right. Oh my gosh. Do you know where can you're going? Can that be a topic die? we can discuss one day? The whole concept of faith versus works and like the control people have the different degrees of control that people believe they have about their afterlife. I think that'd be a really interesting conversation. You know, something occurred to me the other day. This is really funny. So um, I can't believe something occurred to you the other day. You every, really are well, studying things. Part, see, Jessica, it's part of the contemplative lifestyle. <laughs> you have so much leisure time. That's You're right. Obviously. All rich. that. It's that <laughs> god awful amount of leisure time I have. No, um, so you remember that? Speaking of proselytizing and evangelizing, you remember that track, that little track that you would find or people would hand out at bus yeah. or wherever. That it's uh, this is your life, I think it's called. I have read that track very recently. Have you really? Where did very you recently? It? I was it where I was? I think it was an old one. It, it was called This Is Your Life. And I read through it and I was mortified by the Brilliant. pictures. I could not. I showed it to my friends. This was seriously a couple of weeks ago. I was like, you guys, look at this track. You've never seen it before? No, that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And it was literally two or three it. weeks ago. I remember seeing it when I was a kid. Did it look like it was printed fairly recently? 
Yeah, it was new. Okay. Somebody had put well, it somewhere. I, I wonder I where I was. I wonder what denomination or what church that. I can't to. believe that you just brought that up. Because we're gonna have to look me. it up. Well, we're gonna look it up and we'll uh, we'll share some information on the on the notes it, about. It. it was like all these horrible things happened to them, and then when you get to heaven and you're begging God, "Can I stay?" It's sure. depart from me. I never knew you. I mean, it was like. I read it like like and I tried to read it as though I was somebody who was not familiar with the gospel message and I could not believe what I was reading but well it is definitely very protestant uh I know that uh it's 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 either like something wacko or it's like I don't know calvinist some like extreme calvinist uh reconstructionist kind of and oh that's all I can God. figure because um but what occurred to me again, contemplative lifestyle, something occurred to me, um, is that well, I was sitting on the pot. That's right. Basically, that's where most of my best thoughts come from. Uh, or driving. Um, the uh, the issue that I remember because I haven't seen it in decades, like literally decades. But I remember the part like this is your life. In other words, it's playing you know, the bad scenes in your yes. life, right? All the bad things you've done. And what occurred to me is that we have that now. It's called Twitter. Like, in other words, all this cancel culture stuff, like if somebody targets a, you know, what's her name? Uh, what's the girl? Uh, Gina Carano or whatever. Yes. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, they, you know, once somebody is targeted, they go back through their social media history and they pull up all the bad things that they've said and they make sure and, and give it the most possible uncharitable, um, uh, uncharitable um, treatment and, and uh, interpretation. Oh, I forgot Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, may he rest in peace. I mean, the man was a legend. Uh, love him or hate him, he was a you know a a, a medium defining individual. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, when you look at the people who got the Medal of Freedom, uh, they are the people who substantially, you know, benefited the arts in some way. And Rush Limbaugh defined talk radio. He basically brought back AM radio. Like without Rush Limbaugh, AM radio might have gone the way of the dodo bird. <laughs> True. Seriously. So rest in peace, prayers to his family and friends. I didn't have a show last week. And I feel ashamed that I didn't have a show last week. I didn't have a guest. So what I almost did was get on the air and and just, you know, and record, that is, because this is all recorded. Um uh, uh, you know, uh, like reading one of my articles or, or just going by myself, like with no, you know, with no one to talk to and look at. And I didn't do it. Right. I didn't do it because I'm not, I'm not geared for it. I'm not, I don't have that. It takes a, it takes a severe amount of talent to talk for three hours a day for somebody did the math. It's more than 20,000 hours. A lot of, you have to have a lot of charisma, but can I tell you, can I confess to you sure. that I have never once heard a Rush Limbaugh show, never even stumbled upon it, never heard one, not once. Well, that makes you one. kind of un-American, but we'll, we, won't, we won't go down that path. No, but I, I haven't listened to him in years. Like, I mean, I hear him occasionally, 
because we have a talk radio, you know, station here in DC. And so I stumble across and I listen for a while. My wife listens, listen to him a little bit. Uh, but I haven't listened to him since college. I did watch him on television when he was on television in college. He had a TV show for a very small while, I don't know, a year or two, but it happened to be when I was in college. I had a friend who watched him and I, I enjoyed Rush at the time. Um, there was a good tribute to him <clears throat> in the National Review last week um, that pointed out somebody had basically the same experience as me. I can't remember who it was. And that was they enjoyed him in the 90s <clears throat> and a little bit in the aughts. But when it got the later, the more recent it got, the less optimistic it seems. Right? Op optimistic and, and substantive, too, I would say. I think he sure. maybe a, yeah, so, audience a little too much. Yeah. So, I mean, the Trump thing was tragic um, because, you know, once he got the Medal of Freedom, he wasn't just on the Trump train. He was a, he was driving the caboose and throwing coal uh, caboose and driving the driving the uh, the engine and, and throwing coal, coal in the fire or whatever and that that's what that's what it was all about Trump there for for a while so I haven't listened but I haven't listened to him since you know, the Obama administration or before yeah. I think yeah so but that doesn't mean that the man wasn't a medium defining you know talented character sure. and but there was a website which probably was already up but there was a website that collected all the bad things he's ever said. And there were some bad things, right? Yeah. And I got to thinking, this is just like that track that I read when I was in high school or whatever. I haven't seen it since, maybe college. That, you know, here's your life. You know, here's all the bad things you did. And you should be ashamed. Your family should be ashamed. And no one should talk good of you at your death because, you know, because obviously you're a bad and evil person. Yeah. So... Oh, I don't yeah. know. Oh, so we have it. Like it's, you know, you don't have to go to St. Peter at the gate or whatever. We, it's already done. Every bad thing you've done has been recorded. Every bad thing that I say on this show yeah. will be archived, you know, generations from now. Yeah. We, uh, last night at dinner, much to everybody's delight, I began to humor everyone. Uh, my 10 year old, she, I told her, I was like, okay, we're going to start studying so that you can earn the privilege of getting a flip phone. And she's like, I'll be able to get a flip phone at some point. And I'm like, yeah, soon. And she's like, well, how soon? I'm like, sometime within the next two or three years. And she's like, that's not soon. But I I, I was like, take out a piece of paper and a pencil and I'm gonna give you a, a, a quiz, you know, and we'll take a quiz every few months and kind of see where you're located. And we started talking about, you know, essentially that every text message that you send is a recording of who you are. And, and I was like, you know, what is the, what is the worst possible text message that you can ever send? And she's kind of has this thoughtful look on her face. And I was like, I'll give you a clue. It's a three letter word. <laughs> she was like mystified. I, she made a guess. I can't remember what it was, but it was really funny. But the answer was, Hey, Hey, and I, I started and she was like, why? What's wrong with that? And I was like, I just don't want you to sound like the village idiot. That's all. I was like, now when your friends who have phones now text me, they text my phone all day long. Hey, 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 what are some much like you and I have discussed on this podcast, Butch, what are some alternative things that we can <laughs> say to people besides, hey, 
Hey. 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 Parentheses. I'm an idiot. So she said, um, possibly SUP. 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 Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she that's was a like, question. Well, that's at least I a question. Say, what is up? Abbreviated. Hi. How are you doing today? Um, you know. And so we talked about how we communicate in complete sentences. Just don't do that thoughts. over Facebook. Just don't do that over Facebook because someone's going to think that it's a robot. <laughs> Hi, how are it you was today? So funny. Like I, I made, I took her through this whole quiz. You know how to respond. I'll tell you what. Her little friends are, you know, 11, 12 years old. They will call me once they have the information that they need. They just hang up. I'll be like still talking or something. Like, or if you, they'll call you and if you don't answer the phone, they, they do what I call, what I refer to as machine gun calling. That's they pick funny. up the phone and they call again. And I told, I told River, I said, you know, what do you do when you call someone and they don't answer the phone? What is the next appropriate action? You know, and she said, maybe send a follow-up text message or give them personal space. Well, this Return is because- Return the call when it's appropriate. And I was like, you're getting closer to getting a flip phone. That's so right. When do I reason, get a smartphone? I'm like, when you're 16. <laughs> when you're 16, that's right. Well, my son got his phone when he turned 13. It was a smartphone. Um, and we talked about it, actually. I, I think we were doing uh, – no, he had it by then. But we we did it – our first show was on the social dilemma whatever, several months ago. So, um, so he had his – yeah, he had his for – you know, 18 months by then. But um, the reason why they're doing machine gun calling is because they're calling like they text, right? It's episodic, you know, it's just yeah. one message, you know. And this is why I don't do a lot of texting because most things that, you know, contemplative American, most things uh, that I talk about require more than three exchanges. So I don't even like doing emails. Like if I have a question, I probably have four follow-ups. And I want to get it done at in and it's my version of being in a hurry is I want to conclude the phone call or the, conclude the conversation and come to an, an understanding, right? Other people's uh, time saving device is well, just send me an email and that way I can get to it when I have time. But the whole conversation will take five days as opposed to because it'll exactly. take five. Right, it's you insane. You have to be intelligent enough to understand what types of communication are going to be right. effective via text or more effective in a five-minute phone call. And if or I can email. save myself twenty texts, I will make the five-minute phone call. Yeah, don't so, you tell me I can't. But you know, you reminded me of my grandmother. She would. Uh, a lot of people tell me that, but a yeah, lot she, of people yeah. tell me that. No, she would. I have nursed for a total of eight years, so. He would leave me a uh, a voicemail. I mean, back in the back in the answer machine days, she would just leave a Butch, this is your grandmother. Click. Like there was no, hey, how you doing? Hope things oh, are going well. I just wanted to check in and see how you are. Give me a call when you get a chance. Bye-bye. This is your grandmother. Thank you. No, it was like, Butch, this is your grandmother. Click. That was it. You know? Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything because, else should you know, be inferred based on thing. who she is and her position. <laughs> sure. All right. So, what are some other what are some other questions we can ask? Let's assume that not everybody's going to be studying something, or not everybody's going to like the question. Lighting your soul on fire might be a little much. Um, 
But how about um Come on, baby, light my fire. Mm. Seriously, you gotta sing. Try okay. to set the night on fire. <laughs> la, 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 la. That's how I behave at parties. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Um well, no, it sounds like you're fun at parties. I, I apparently am not, no, but I have, I have my, reason, my reason why I'm not <laughs> is the same reason why you are. And that is, I don't do small talk. Right. So I, I, you know, I want to like, I want to sit down and have a, like a lengthy long form conversation. The reason why these podcasts last an hour and not 20 minutes is I'm more a fan of long form conversation. You're like the chess of conversations. You're like, let's sit down and play a game of chess. Whereas a yeah, lot of I like to play, play. I like to talk over a game of chess, uh, literally, right? But also, yeah. I like to talk in that. You're right. I, I see what you mean. Until um, I watched Queen's Gambit and realized how terrible I was at chess. Well, most people are bad at chess compared to, you know, that fictional character. So, um, what? Uh, what else? What? What's another thing? We only have a few minutes left. Okay. What, um, what else could we ask? Like, um, what? What? Uh, um, What's another one I've asked? How about something like, um, you know, what's the, um, you know, if you could accomplish one thing this year that you really want to accomplish, what would it be? Or something like that. Oh, God. That sounds entirely too networky to me. I get yeah, it. Though. Right. I'm not going to ask anybody that. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean. Something like, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to strike a balance between not, trying to be pretentious and overly intellectual yeah and also but also not staying too shallow so it's something along the lines right. of I, a lot of times i say what's been keeping you busy lately i do that but usually the answer is work i'm just working and family and work and family and so that's a bad question <laughs> um what do you do in your free time what are you getting into these that. days what What's kind that? of illicit drug use are you into? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Wrong. wrong that's drug. right. What kind of drugs are you taking these days, dude? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a, that's that's one I ask a lot since I've never taken any. How about just, you know, to kind of, you know, handle the objection ahead of time, you say, besides work and, you know, the typical family stuff, what have you been busy with these days? Yeah, so you pref you preface it by taking out all the small talk stuff or the or the work related stuff. <laughs> You pre-handle the objection, Butch. Come That's on. Right. Well, I've heard of that. I've, I'm familiar with the notion, with the theory of handling objections. So, well, yeah. So, no, that, that's a good one, too. Well, look, anything else on the, on the topic of leisure before we leisurely, um, you know, uh, put a kibosh on the... I mean, I think we could talk about it a lot more, Butch. I've got plenty of leisure time. I could commit to this, but no, I think... People, I think there's especially certain personality types feel very guilty. And there's something, you know, well, in it's our also cultural. makes people feel guilty. I've experienced this and I'm not somebody who's inclined to experience this. Like, like um, my mother is somebody who, you know, has to be working and doing something productive all the time or, or else she doesn't feel like she's being a good person. She cannot sure. just just sit down and even have a lunch with you without feeling like there's something she has to go do to be a productive person. I'm the opposite. I feel like I, I have my list of things I want to get done that are productive, but I also have a list of things I want to get done that are leisure. 
and they go hand in hand. And the reason why I'm doing those productive things, the reason why I clean my home and make it beautiful is so that I can leisurely exist in it and enjoy it. Like the, everything works hand in hand for me. Sure. Um, and, but, but still I have moments where if I'm sitting there doing nothing for a moment, like I've had this where I'm just sitting there doing nothing. I'm not actually engaging in reading or a sport or anything like that. I'll feel intensely guilty and I'll jump up and start doing something. I think that's a female thing too. Well, I, uh, I did two things this week before we cut it off. I did number one, I got rid of my family, uh, for a week. I didn't, they're not buried in the backyard. <laughs> they're just gone. They're just gone for a week. Where did they means go? I've had the most productive 72 hours of my <laughs> adult life. Like, I mean, since, since college, um, the other thing too is I'm not, I'm not doing Facebook at all this week. I'm taking a one one week nice. hiatus off of Facebook. Um, that has added to my productivity. Yeah, and I don't mean just um, servile productivity. I mean leisurely productivity as well, which is great. I've got more reading in. I've got more uh, more things have occurred to me. You know, well, interesting. That's why you asked me to send you a text the other day. That's been on my mind too. Is completely walking away from Facebook. I can't completely is, walk but... away from it because I have businesses which you know are promoted through right. it. But I can I can uh, not look at it except for when I'm. And yeah, I have a friend who um, who unfollowed all his friends. That would take me a while. I've got like two twenty five hundred friends, but he unfollowed all his friends so he didn't have a news feed, and so he could <laughs> just get on there and do his pages and groups. I think the groups maybe still show up if you're in a group. Uh, so the groups show up and the uh, and the and the pages show up, but not your friends. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a that's one way to go. So um, and I reduced I uh, no screen time on Sundays. I think I'm going to continue that through through Lent. My, our Lent doesn't start until uh, March 17th, so I, I'm going to start it start the no screen Sundays uh, between now and Easter. Uh, which I is like it. Second. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll, that really helped actually. Uh, it forces, and we do this with our kids too. I mean, a lot of us do, you know, we limit their screen time and then we discover that they become more, you know, once they're bored and we had a post on this a couple of weeks ago, once, you know, once you're, once you're bored, your, 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 your mind creates things to do to mm -hmm. keep it occupied. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, I've got a lot of stuff to catch up on around the house too. And that's been, that's productive if you will. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, so I'm, I'm trying to take small steps and, and, uh, and, um, but it's, I try to make sure that I do not take. And part of reading this was making sure that I didn't take all this time and try to make it, you know, productive. Right. That's uh that's the, uh, that's the balance. Yeah. Some of it, I need to make it productive, right? I mean, there are some, because what I have done in the past when I was bored is I would turn on the television, right? Especially in the evening. Like if I didn't have anything else to do, I'd just veg in front of the television, watch TV and movies or whatever. And that mm -hmm. reducing that time uh, will, uh, I think will increase the quality of my leisure time. It'll actually make, because I don't think that's really leisurely in, in the peeper sense. I mean, it can be. I think watching a really good movie uh, can be very uh, leisurely. 
because I, I believe movies are an art form and uh, I have people, you know, I, I know people who disagree with me on that, that, you know, it's not a legit art form and I think they're crazy. Um, speaking of, I saw two movies recently that I really loved. One is called The Dig on Netflix. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. I'll look it up. And the other one is Yesterday. With is well, it based Amazon on Prime. What's that? Is it based on the life of John Lennon or <laughs> what is the movie? Okay. So yesterday you have to watch the dig is a sort of, I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, that ironically, they both star Lily James. Uh, she's in a supportive role in the dig and she's uh, the, the main love interest in the, in, in the, um, she played as Cinderella in the most recent, uh, uh, live action adaptation of Cinderella, Lily James. Oh, yeah, okay. She's in both movies, ironically, you know, that's not why I liked them. I liked them for all the other reasons. Um, Are you sure? Cause you're talking about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the second movie, she is uh, yesterday, which I recommend everybody watch because there's a philosophical purpose for it. And that is, is art, good because people say it's good or is it objectively good right is it is it good because it's in, in is its essence so good and that's why it becomes popular or is it is it the other way around it's popular and people catch on and somebody got lucky and it ca caught a break and it became a thing and so everything from that artist becomes good um the story is a fella in um in the uk who's sort of a amateur musician songwriter and he gets hit by a hit by a bus on a bike he's riding his bike he gets hit by a bus and when he wakes up it yes. takes him a day or yeah. two to discover it but he discovers that um no one has heard of the beatles yeah never existed yes. okay yeah. and so because he's a struggling artist he's like i'll just play i'll just write a couple of beatles songs i'm using quotation marks on my fingers uh, for those who are, um, we're not watching. Um, so, so he began to write these songs and it took a little while. It took, you know, and he had to, but eventually he became this, you know, he becomes a super famous uh, musician. It's a powerful story uh, of, of, of art and, and of uh, making choices about your life that you know fame or for fame or love is you know it's common you know common uh you know decisions that people make in movies but uh this one is extremely powerfully done and so i enjoyed it immensely yeah. and lily james of course is the you know the love interest the right choice uh, of course is what, <laughs> what that is well i've told you many times my favorite director i don't know if i've told you this many times or not but my favorite director is terrence malick oh sure He's extremely elusive. Have you seen Tree of Life? I, I I did. It's a little it's a little much for me, but it's it's good. Yeah, it's a little much for most people, and that's kind of what I was going to say when it comes to art: is it objective or subjective? And I think that just just like music, when you look at the the music of the Beatles, they use very simple chord progressions. Most sure. music that's popular, like take Lady Gaga for example, you're talking right. like D G A boom. That's you know? right. It, um, that's what appeals simple. to humanity. But, you know, for some people, like intellectually, they can appreciate the complexity. Like when you start looking at jazz music and things like that, 
you start to see a little bit more of an intellectual crowd because they're appreciating. So we yeah, see but that's that a there's enjoyment. Example. There's enjoyment, which is based on entertainment. And then there's appreciation, which can be based more on on complexity and, and, and some nuances. I mean, I can be entertained by um, a certain type of book, but mm -hmm. I can appreciate a much more difficult to digest book. And, you know, because it just takes a little bit more. And it's the same way with film. Tree of Life is hard to watch. I mean, but I appreciate it immensely. Fast, what's the movie I just watched? Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Love that's that movie. Only, uh, I think that's the only Academy Award nominee I didn't watch last year. There were 10 nominees. Have you seen Ford? You haven't seen Ford versus no, Ferrari? I haven't seen oh, it yet. Oh, my gosh. Like, I told... I told my husband, I said, look, someday you need to sit down with our son and tell and watch this movie with him and tell him every type of man that exists is in this movie. What kind of man do you want to be? Like, it's the most beautiful display of masculinity like I've ever seen. Well, I've actually done that on this podcast. If you haven't, if you didn't get a chance to watch it, I uh, except I did watch a little bit of, of one of those. And it was Die it. Hard. So we, we basically took Die Hard, which has about six or eight real male archetypes in the uh in the in the movie and moki and i analyzed all of them and watch ford versus ferrari okay. i'm excited first of all it's a great movie sure but second of all i really do believe that there's a lot of themes about who people are what makes a man good and, and it really is a beautiful display of masculinity and all the different types of it like i really appreciated that that's good of course, stuff. I'm a huge Christian Bale fan, though, too. So yeah. Well, I will say that um, just to clarify that it does not have to be complex in order for it to be valuable and true and good. True, absolutely. But it can be. They're not mutually <laughs> exclusive. Um, and so, but you will find some people can only appreciate the simple. And but you well, will not find think, people who can only yeah well appreciate because the complex. I think because. It's not because some people aren't capable. It's because particular art forms have particular appeals for different people. Oh, I think it's so, laziness. So, for me, well, <laughs> let's, let's take. Uh, uh, we're going a little over, but let's take jazz for a second, right? Okay. I'm not. Um, I'm not musically, um, you know, illiterate, right? I haven't understood. I mean, I I learned music when I was much younger, but I never pursued it. I didn't have any talents in that area. But I can appreciate complexity and jazz makes me crazy, right? I don't, I have no interest in it. Like, I think uh, Fred Armisen did this, uh, did this uh, comedy skit uh, about drummers. Like he would play different drum sets or whatever. And he, while he's doing his comedy skit, it's one of the best sets I've seen uh, stand up I've seen in a while. It's really good. But he, he, he starts playing jazz. Uh, okay. He's like, okay, every, everybody raise their hand when they've lost interest. You know, <laughs> but um, so when it comes to music, you know I know there's lots of different kinds of jazz, right? Sure. So um, I'm thinking modern jazz, like. which is the worst kind of jazz. The more modern it is, the worse it is. Don't you know that? I mean, that's objectively true. So but the point is that um, some of it's very complex and I cannot appreciate it because it, it makes me a little crazy. Movies, on the other hand, I have a more sophisticated palette or whatever. And so I, I appreciate more complex movies and I analyze them more and I get more out of them. 
whereas some people just watch movies to be entertained and they really don't want to watch movies to to be inspired or whatever. They just want it to be fun, right? It's an yeah. escape. Yeah. Uh, it's like reading science fiction. You know, I read, I can read science fiction to escape, but I've read a lot of science fiction. And so I, I, I usually try to glean, you know, bigger things out of it. So. Our, I think our brains are programmed to do that, which is easy and comfortable. Sure. And if we're not like really, this goes back to that word again, intentional about laying down new pathways in our brain by reading things that are uncomfortable, that are difficult or watching a film that's outside of our comfort. Then we just get lazy and we just Kantian, Kantian interpretation there. Uh, Am Jessica. I being Kantian again? <laughs> oh my God. I just, I just love taking everything. I can't believe it. Now. <laughs> no, that sounds too practical. It's too practical, darn it. I'm just kidding. All right, we're Hans 15 minutes like, over. So let me uh let's let's call it. And we'll uh we'll see you in a couple weeks. And until then, uh those who are listening or watching, please go have a great conversation with Play Bye. Thanks for listening to Rules of the Game. Please give us a five-star review and share with all your friends who are interested in thoughtful and entertaining discussions. Be sure also to visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash rules of the game and on Facebook at facebook.com slash ROTG podcast. If you're interested in joining the conversation as a contributor or lively discussions with other thoughtful citizens, then go to greatconversations.us. Also last, but certainly not least, check out our sponsor and benefactor, Independent Education at indead.us, where they mastered the art of the micro school before it was cool. <laughs>